Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to continue with our search in Scripture in regard to Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been suggesting in this series of Bible studies on the Kingdom of God that it makes sense that we begin at the beginning of the teaching of Jesus in order to find out what Christianity is all about. Many systems of theology, it seems to us, begin in the middle or even at the end of the New Testament. They tend to begin with the epistles of Paul rather than with the teaching of Jesus. And that methodology is suspect. The gospel, you see, originates with Jesus' own preaching. It did not originate with Paul. Paul did not invent the gospel. His letters are commentary on an existing body of teaching which had been handed down to him through the apostles and from Jesus himself. The teaching of Paul and all of the apostles is firmly rooted in the gospel preaching of the kingdom as demonstrated by Jesus for some three and a half years during his historical ministry. Now, if we overlook that basic fact and quote verses from the epistles of Paul constantly, ignoring particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're likely, to use the language of schoolboys, when I was at school, we're likely to make a hash of things, a muddle and a confusion out of biblical understanding. If we resolve with Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, that the gospel first began to be preached by Jesus and was relayed to others through the apostles, if we take that as our basic premise, we will find that the gospel as Jesus defined it is clearly the gospel about the kingdom of God. And I have to tell you that the kingdom does not mean the death of Jesus and that kingdom does not mean the resurrection of Jesus. Certainly the death and resurrection of Jesus are means towards the kingdom. They are the means but not the end. The end and the objective of the Christian faith throughout the Bible is the kingdom of God, the inheritance of the kingdom of God at the second coming of Jesus in power and glory. Now, I think it must be obvious that the inheritance of the kingdom of God is not heaven. Heaven in the Bible is not the destination of the dying and it's not the objective of the Christian faith. One of the most valuable lessons one can learn about New Testament study is that heaven is an alien idea imposed upon the text of Scripture. Examine the teachings of Jesus carefully. Certainly he speaks of treasure being stored up in heaven now, but that reward, that treasure, is going to come out of heaven when Jesus brings his reward from heaven to the earth at his second coming. This is beautifully expressed in the early verses of First Peter, in that wonderful epistle of Peter, who you know is a rock disciple and rock apostle of Jesus, he describes the Christian scheme with complete clarity. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, Peter wrote the following, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we note there that Jesus Christ has a God. The Father is the God of Jesus Christ as well as being his Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Messiah who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ creates in us a living hope, and a hope, of course, is something that we do not yet have. We're hoping for a resurrection for ourselves in the future on the basis of Jesus' resurrection in the past. And that hope leads us also to look forward to our inheritance, and Peter discusses the inheritance in verse 4 of 1 Peter 1. We're going to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Notice carefully, that inheritance is reserved in heaven. Oh, so you say, we're going to heaven to get it. No, we miss the point entirely there unless we read the next verse. In verse 5, Peter says that we are now as Christians protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation which is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, there we have a reference to that future salvation which is going to come out of heaven and be revealed here on this earth in the last time at the second coming of Jesus. The parallel is exactly like storing up money in a bank. If you look forward to retirement, you may well invest your money in a bank or other organization. However, that doesn't mean to say that when you retire, you go and retire in the bank. In the same way, we may say that we have treasure in heaven now, but that doesn't mean to say that you go to heaven to get it. That treasure is going to be manifested and revealed at the second coming in terms of Jesus' reward to the faithful when he returns from heaven to the earth. When he appears in power and glory to establish his kingdom, he will give as a reward the inheritance of the kingdom to his faithful of all the ages. Now the nature and the content of that inheritance is described in many other verses. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said. Their inheritance is going to be the possession of the earth. Matthew 5 verse 5. In Revelation 5 verse 10 we learn that the saints of all the ages and gathered from all nations and ethnic groups are going to reign as kings upon the earth. But that doesn't sound like going to heaven. If only Christians and Bible readers generally would give up this heaven language, they would cease confusing themselves in regard to the precious truths of the Bible about our destiny and our future. You see, the words we use use us. If we go on talking about when I get to heaven and so and so is in heaven, we will continue to allow those false words to confuse us in regard to Bible study. It's time for us to use the words of the Bible. When I inherit the kingdom, so and so is hoping to inherit the kingdom. In the resurrection, we will be given immortality in order to inherit the kingdom of God. If we use that sort of language, we'll begin to understand the Bible and the teachings of Jesus as they were understood in their first century context. A great deal of baggage hangs around our necks as we attempt to read the Bible, and it's the old problem of tradition. We have not examined the text of Scripture carefully. We've simply taken on board what we've always heard and what we've accepted without question. The Berean spirit, as in Acts 17, verse 11, is that we search the Scriptures daily, that we investigate the text of the Bible on a daily basis to see if what we hear is true. And if we're hearing contrary positions or opinions on basic Bible topics, then it's time for us to accept the challenge and attempt to verify from the text of Scripture itself which version of the Bible 
which interpretation, if you like, which reading of the Bible is the correct one. I submit to you that heaven is not the destination of the dying in the Bible. Nobody ever says, when we faithful go to heaven, or so-and-so's gone to heaven. There's only one exception to that, and that is in the case of Jesus. The Bible does say on several occasions that he has passed through the heavens to the throne of God, but it never uses that kind of language in terms of the destiny of Christians. For them, their hope is to inherit the earth, to reign as kings upon the earth, to rule with Christ over the Gentiles, over the nations, and to rule with him indeed for the first stage of the kingdom of God, which is that millennial thousand-year reign described so beautifully in the twentieth chapter of Revelation. You remember that in Luke chapter 20 and verse 35, Jesus uttered these words, Those who are considered worthy to attain to that age. He didn't say those who are considered worthy to go to heaven when they die, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead. Those, Jesus said, will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they will be granted immortality. That's the language of Jesus. If we adopt that language and start speaking about attaining to that well-known future age of the kingdom, inheriting the kingdom, inheriting the life of the age to come, if we adopt that language, we may seem rather strange among our friends, almost fanatical perhaps, but we're only using those innocent, pure, and wonderful words of Jesus himself. And I'm sure we believe in following Jesus. Is it too much to ask of Christians that they start following his language about our destiny? Our destiny, of course, is the principal topic of the New Testament. The New Testament, indeed the Old as well, are documents designed to help us to gain immortality in the future kingdom of God when Jesus returns. Now, you may wonder, why is this language about heaven so prevalent? This is a simple historical question. In the Bible, heaven is not the destination of the dying. In the early church fathers, in post-biblical times, in post-New Testament times, there's evidence clear and abundant that they also did not think that souls went to heaven the moment they die. In many church fathers, I'm thinking of one Hippolytus who whose works we have from a period from about 170 to 236 A.D., in his writings he clearly states that the dead are all presently detained in the world of the dead in Hades. He doesn't imagine that Christians have gone to heaven. He speaks of them being detained in the grave until the future resurrection at Christ's return. Here are the words of this Christian writer in the early third century. He speaks of the righteous who are going to obtain the incorruptible and unfading kingdom. And he then goes on to say that the righteous are indeed at present detained in Hades. So you see, this language about going to heaven the moment you die does not date even from post-biblical times, that's to say, not from the times immediately after the Bible. Not for several centuries, indeed, do Christians talk about ascending as a disembodied soul to heaven when they die. Would you believe it, but in 150 A.D., a leading spokesman for the church wrote the following, If you meet with people who say that when they die their souls go to heaven, do not imagine that they are Christians. 
Isn't that amazing? Today, if you deny that souls go to heaven, you're considered unchristian in some circles. But in 150 AD, the very opposite was true. It was wrong and unbiblical to imagine that souls went to heaven at death. What then has happened? Well, the answer is not complex. It's simply a fact that if you examine that 77% of our Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, you'll find that souls do not go anywhere at death except to the world of the dead, known as Hades or Sheol in the Hebrew language. Both the righteous and the unrighteous fall asleep in death. According to Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5, they know nothing at all. They're in a state of insensibility, and their only hope of recovery is via resurrection in the future. That's the most important biblical fact. It is only by resurrection that a person comes out of death into life and immortality. And resurrection is seen as a great event of the future, and it's going to happen when Jesus comes back to this earth. Many passages in the New Testament tell us that only when Jesus returns will the dead, the faithful dead, that is, of all the ages, be raised from the sleep of death to immortality in the kingdom. Now, that biblical view of the state of the dead as waiting in Hades, both the righteous and the unrighteous together, that view of death was maintained in centuries even after the New Testament period. In 150 AD, as I just quoted, Justin Martyr is saying, Do not believe people if they tell you that when you die, you go to heaven. We invite you to request from us an article entitled, Do Souls Go to Heaven? Meanwhile, join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.